0: Welcome to product stories, where we explore how founders build successful software products. This is a podcast about product management, software development, remote work, and everything else that technical as well as non-technical founders need to know to launch and scale successful software products. Today's guest is Jeroen Kortau, co-founder of SalesFlare, and we want to find out how he's built a CRM that competes with the big brands. Jeroen, welcome to the show, great to have you.
1: Yeah, thank you. Happy to be here,
0: your own, uh You're a you're a non technical founder, and I'm getting this question all the time. How did you found your technical co founder, your con- counterpart here in this venture?
1: Yeah, I'm 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 half non technical.
0: Ah, so but, what, uh, what's your part? Where where do you like uh, see yourself, and and what were you looking in a, in a co founder?
1: Yeah, so I, I indeed, I, I, I studied engineering myself. So it's not like I don't understand what happens and all that, which is a, an advantage when when working with the technical team. Um, but I am not a coder. So, indeed, I, I always need someone to uh, take up the, the the lead on on the development side. Um, I found my co-founder, leave and just not, not like, looking or we just met each other in the founder institute um i was in there with a with a startup idea i had and he was in there and we were in the same group we had to help each other a lot Uh, we enjoyed that a lot of good conversations often i was uh on the way to work in my car and we would be calling um and then uh, go to our day jobs and then afterwards call again to figure out what we're going to do and um we lost touch for a while and one day uh he calls me and he says i'm going to vegas with my company he had a a startup company and uh, we need a sales guy do you want to join um and we did that we had a lot of fun together i started collaborating with him on his company and and it's from there out of frustrations we had with managing our sales pipeline that we decided to start Salesforce. so it I didn't go out and look for a technical co-founder just it just happened i actually at some point when i had another uh, startup company i was going out looking for a technical co-founder it can be very difficult because you basically uh, need to find someone uh, who you want to work with <laughs> first of all but secondly also you need to convince that person uh, that you're on to something and um, when you came up with it alone, that's much harder than when you come up some, with something together.
0: That makes perfect sense actually. And so uh, when it comes to Sales Flare, you already mentioned you were you were looking uh, to manage your sales pipeline and you didn't find a tool that does exactly what you want. Uh, can you tell us a bit mm-hmm. about what Salesflare is and who it, it caters to exactly?
1: Yeah, so Salesflare is a is a CRM. And a CRM is a, a customer relationship management software. Um, it's, um, more of a, a sales CRM. So focused much more on the essence of the customer relationship. In many cases, it's, it's uh, it's the, so in a, in, in essence, a company uh, builds or provides a, builds a product, provides a service, whatever, and, and then it's sold, uh, especially in B2B sales. So we focus on that, that's uh, sales relationship. And um, what it does, if when you think about it very practically, is it help companies to follow up their leads um, from the moment they, they meet the lead or they have a lead uh, towards closing that deal. And then also often afterwards, uh, like following up that customer relationship after the sale. And we focus with that on small and medium sized companies. Not on the big ones that need something enterprise-y like Salesforce or SAP or so. Uh because these companies need a whole like completely different tool. They need something that adapts to their company. An army of consultants come set up a system fully custom made almost. You know, it's it's you, you buy building blocks and then and then the guys start building. Um we build something that comes out of the box that is really easy to set up. We're actually the, the number one, most implementable CRM on, on, on g2.com. So it's really like just, like just you connect to your mailbox, starts working and all that. And where we uh, distinguish ourselves from other CRMs that are both uh, focused on smaller companies, offering a practical tool for sales follow-ups or really like sales CRMs, like, like uh, companies like HubSpot and Pipedrive uh is that we built our software from the ground up for automated data input. um so we saw that there's a lot of very nice software tools out there but that they have this uh, they create this false expectation somehow they are built on the premise that um sales are going to be uh, this insanely disciplined uh, group of people that uh, everything they do they put into a system uh while they do it so they they email someone and then they put that in the system and then they call someone and then somehow they meet someone and they have this trigger in their head that says i need to put this person in the crm that person passes their phone number they think like oh my god now i need to put that phone number in the crm and they're so focused on the crm uh that in the end this crm uh is this perfect database on which they can uh, fall back Uh, to do their sales follow up to manage their customer relationships to never forget anyone you know it becomes their second brain almost but they're they're so focused on that CRM that it works and the problem is if they are not that focused on the CRM it doesn't at some point it falls apart because somehow you forget to put some stuff in it here and there and uh, when all the data isn't there it's not qualitative it the system just starts falling apart and um at some point we were working on on sales follow-up um for that that software company i was talking about that i i went uh, to help leaving on we had a lot of leads from a conference and we we had to follow those up at scale and we were like looking for a system for ourselves trying different CRMs, and we always noticed that it (laughs) We just couldn't like we, we couldn't keep it up to date properly, um, and then we started tinkering and we figured that actually most of the things we were inputting were already available somewhere else digitally, and uh, we figure like why like technically like why don't we just pull these things together? Uh, we just connect to the mailbox, uh, we pull out of there like the emails, the email signatures, uh, the contacts themselves uh how often you're in touch with them like what is the relationship strengths like so many things you can pull out of, of out of a mailbox and then out the calendar similar stuff phone there's like call histories in your phone there's info on social media there's uh, all kinds of databases out there that we could integrate into this um and there's web tracking and there's email tracking and we saw this whole system which would basically track all customer information, but also all touch points you have with customers automatically um, based on the information that's already there. Um, And that we are still, I think the only CRM system that is built um, with that in mind. First Uh, many other CRM systems started sinking in some information here and there to automate some stuff, but they're not built with um, automated data inputs uh, like as the first thing in mind, so if you use the software, you'll see that the flows are very much manual data input. Uh, with some syncing in, we take the opposite approach.
0: And that sounds, especially, I mean, a CRM in general is already not a simple micro SaaS to build, and especially with that in mind, that sounds like quite a big project. How did you, how did you go about really deciding the minimum feature set and and building something to test out? That must've been tough.
1: Yeah, that was tough. And, um, I must say we built an, uh, a sort of MVP, uh, but it was very far, like minimum viable product, which was very, very far from a minimum sellable product, uh, and even much further from a minimum lovable product. Uh, like our MVP was basically, um, a plugin you had in, in Gmail and outlook which would show you all the emails you were exchanging with a specific company uh, next to your emails. Uh, and people wouldn't really understand uh, what the value was in such a thing. Uh, they were like, I mean, I have emails on the left. Why do I need emails on the right as well? They would be, and, but they, they didn't see like our, our complete vision uh which was that everything was going to end up there and the thing was going to um, automatically keep itself up to date and make sure that you always knew what was going on and all that um so our very first version was like people were, didn't get it and i think it took us um after having that minimum viable product, which took us about i think three months or so to create it it probably took us another three months to to even convince uh, one other person other than myself to use it actively.
0: That's interesting. Uh,
1: and it took us another um, seven, eight months from there to sell it the first time.
0: Because how uh, wh- 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 how did you go about uh, then then uh, distributing it, distributing it to people? Uh, about getting feedback, uh, enough feedback to really understand how what should we do with it from from there.
1: It, it was all about and and it still is very much about but to a lesser extent about having very close customer relationships um we did not do any significant marketing uh, back in the day uh what we would do is try to get attention in the press here and there uh, with which we would get bursts of attention uh, bursts of leads to add to our pipeline basically um i would do a lot of customer interviews uh, to really understand what software people were using what was wrong with it what what were they trying to do in sales what couldn't they do all this kind of stuff and then when we had leads I would take them all the way like really I would show them what we built I would uh, install it for them Um, because you had to connect your emails. It was very hard at first. You had to connect your your Gmail inbox through IMAP, for instance, and open up some security settings here and there. Um, Nowadays, you just want to click and it all works. Uh, And it's not through IMAP, it's straight on the API, but back then it was through IMAP. And then um, I would set it up together with them, make sure it all worked properly, show them around, did the support, and at every step, Uh, like every single thing I would do with them, I would be like, oh my God, and this is not working properly yet. and This is not working properly yet. And then people would ask a question in some direction. You know, every single time that I, um, was in touch with customers, I had a list of, of stuff in my notepad, uh, to go back to the development team, put it in GitHub uh and, and and start tracking stuff start prioritizing and start fixing
0: but do you think that that was actually a good thing that you were so in touch or that your customers had to get so much in touch with you to even set it up or do you think you could have somehow if you just integrated with the uh, gmail api so to speak directly right from the start would that have been way easier
1: uh, no, I mean, uh, connecting to the Gmail API would maybe have been a better idea. That's another thing. But uh, staying close to customers, uh, I still believe that's something we need to do uh, very actively. Um, it's when you sort of lose touch with customers that it becomes much harder of building something valuable, knowing what little things are wrong with your product. Uh, very often customers, especially the ones uh, who pay you a lot of money, are not going to tell you what's wrong with your product they just they just think up workarounds and and all that it's only when you're really in touch with them that they they might tell you um so we find that really really important and especially in the early stages i can only recommend um going that way because if you immediately make your saas software available freely to the public and everybody just signs up and then immediately churns from the trial and you don't know why the only thing you you can rely on is is hot jar videos and a, and a survey here and there uh it's going to take you an enormous amount of time to figure out uh, how to how to best build the product while if you're actually in touch with people you can talk to them they send you pages of feedback after you're together you see things happening because you're there with them Um, that's when you can uh, create the the quickest improvement product wise and i think it's also one of the only ways in which we can really really compete with these giant companies out there to speak to the your intro um it's it's being closer to customers, because what happens inevitably in these larger companies is that they uh, start building barriers between them and the customer. Uh, and these barriers can be simple. That could be uh, newly hired customer service agents who have no idea what the product is about, uh, which is a very effective barrier. Uh, it's not only yields uh, terrible customer support, um, but also, makes that you don't learn anything about the customer because the dialogue is just impossible. There's no uh, proper link between customer and product Um, and that's what we're trying to avoid very much. Um, We give a lot of importance on being close to customers which then makes that we can improve our product more. Have a better product and also know where we want to go with the product
0: and uh, you also mentioned that that you launched on on AppSumo uh one day did that improve uh customer feedback even more did that give you more exposure was that valuable for you
1: that was um, an enormous um, help when it comes to customer feedback um when you talk to people who have launched on AppSumo or wanted to and didn't or whatever uh you'll very often hear um, that um people on AppSumo don't pay nothing and ex- and expect the world um that's uh, sort of true <laughs> but the, the 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 flip side of the coin is that you you finally have people who want to give you feedback or they, they bought into your um, product and basically they decided that whatever it is they need, the product that they bought, that's how they, they usually say it, like I bought Salesforce, um, that it will adapt to their uh, needs and they will give you all the feedback. So you just have to let them say it uh write it down track it well and you have a, a huge volume of feedback all of a sudden now the 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 only pitfall there is that you start confusing uh, the needs of the appsumo audience with the needs of your uh, larger customers or the customers like the direction you want to take the company audience wise um, so that's something you need to watch out for so it, track it well um but apart from that uh, every every little thing that could go wrong with your product you will have heard it if you have uh, an app audience on your product because they're just so much more engaged than than the people who actually pay you
0: and now we've been we've been talking so much about your early days uh how long has that been uh, uh since since you launched initially
1: Our, our very initial MVP uh, is almost six years ago. Oh, wow,
0: that's that's been a while. So fast forward to today. What's your what's your team setup, team size right now?
1: Yeah, we are a team of seven. Uh, we've kept that a bit stable over the past uh, two years, I think, um, because we want to uh, grow our revenue a bit quicker and make that uh, surpass our team size and growing a team also comes with its own issues uh like the one with the customer service agents that i just mentioned um if you if you grow too quick um then you have people on your team who don't really know everything deeply um and that makes that the quality goes down so that's also a reason for us to to take it a, a little bit slower um, but we have over um, two thousand companies now actively using the software um and we serve those with this team so the team is um, made up of um, my co-founder uh, who's mostly working on development things uh, not developing himself mostly but uh, development related things uh, together with three developers and then there's me mostly working on marketing uh, there's Curie, um, mostly working on partnerships and taylor mostly taking care of customers
0: Awesome. And, uh, so you have, you have three developers or a co-founder who's like a product manager or CTO development manager. Um, do you have a designer in-house as well?
1: No, um, we, we had someone, uh, who externally, um, made the designs for both the website and the app. Um, and for the past few years, we've been building, um, from that sort of uh, Blueprint further and further. We also use Google Material Design, uh, so we, we, we very often follow the rules of Google Material Design to figure out our designs and we work further on things we already have uh, to make sure everything stays consistent. Um, so we haven't really been in needs of a designer over the past few years. At some point we might do a redesign though, and then, uh, we'll get someone again, but we d- definitely don't have, uh, the need to employ someone uh, internally.
0: And, uh, what's your, uh, what's your structure? Are you remotely or are you in an office? What's your philosophy here?
1: We are we are usually uh, in an office uh, but for the past nine months now i think to the day almost um we um we have been working fully remotely uh we have seen each other i think once in a bar and another time in a bar uh but we have not seen each other in uh in, in a work setting uh just due to COVID. it wasn't a, a huge jump for us to go remote because we were already um, remote with our customers. They're all over the world. So there, there was no switch. We already had everything digitally. Uh, All our communication was running anyway through through Slack and GitHub and all that. It was just mainly the the meetings that we had to take online and sort of systematize the communication we had between that. Uh, We were somehow relying a bit on being in the same room and you know you have this sort of um natural slash accidental communication going on uh, when you're in the same office we had to make things way more systematic so that uh, despite all being in our own homes we all know exactly what everyone is working on what the latest things that are decided and all this kind of
0: how did you actually wrote a
1: a blog post about that if you're
0: absolutely uh we'll we'll definitely link that up uh and how did you manage to do more creative tasks like people are always saying that brainstorming especially and deciding on on strategies and on directions to take that's the hardest to do remotely um how did you find a way to to replace that more or less or was that the bar meeting
1: (laughs) no no the bar meeting was about uh just meeting each other and not about work um no the the way we usually attack that is uh we we very well um define first together what the goal is what the things we are we going to brainstorm and why what do we want to achieve Um, then everybody uh, does some brainstorm um sort of over the period of a week or maybe two weeks uh, you can get some ideas you write them down you you make a list for yourself we come together uh, we, we explain each other um, what the ideas were that we came up with we group them together in one list and then from there uh, when everybody has explained very well uh, what it is not just throw the list together without explanation that is you know then uh, you know more ideas come we add those perhaps and then we go into a process where we um where we give them scores like everybody can for instance it depends a bit on what we're doing but um choose the the top 3 or so and then they get a score 3 2 and 1 for instance where we don't have a standardized process for it um and then we see what what comes up with the highest scores sort of as a more as a um, a piece of information rather than really having that fully defined the decision if you know what i mean um it's always just the model not the, the model can can be the decision maker you can still have a discussion about it afterwards
0: moving into more of your development um how do you decide on new features or how do you document them what do you use to to track your software development within your three four people uh product team what what works best for you in, in this setting
1: yeah yeah our product team is actually broader than uh, than just the developers um actually our product team is made up of uh, myself sort of the product owner um then you could say uh, my co-founder is sort of the if you think about it in scrum the the scrum master is cto Um, then we have one of the developers the one who's been with us the longest and and knows the product uh, in and out he's also in the meetings to sort of represent the the technical side of it things uh, if that makes sense and then we have our Taylor in the meetings who takes care of customers and Gary, who we used to take care of customers. So we have a product team of five. And what we do, we have uh, different meetings in which we run through different aspects of, of the, the product development. Um, but let, me, let me first explain to you uh, where we track stuff. So we uh, work in intercom for our customer conversations like all the support related stuff runs through there a lot of the sales related stuff as well Um, and every time somebody says something that constitutes feedback in any uh, form then we log that in github with the the name of the person name of the company what they specifically said uh, and a link to the intercom conversation as a comment to an issue. And that issue is something that is wrong or can be better in the product. Um, and we generally have three types there. These can be features like whole new fun- functionality. Those can be improvements. Uh, it's like an exist- existing functionality that just needs some sort of improvement. And we have actual bugs, things that are broken, like we've built something and somehow it doesn't do a certain thing, which we envisioned it would do. Uh, this second group, by the way, we um, brought to life because at some point we just had bugs and features and there was this space in between, like product improvement. Uh, it, just, it just all uh, fell down into a... And, a nondescript bucket and it was very hard to improve on the product once we did that we saw our product improving uh, very fast and both for the bugs and the improvements we have a a priority system um which currently is urgent high medium low uh, and also instant when something needs to be fixed instantly and for the features um we do a much more elaborate uh, scoring um, exercise because there are much bigger things we need to decide on and uh, they aren't dependent on so many factors. What we currently have in that scoring system is one, how well does it align with our product vision of where we want to go with the product? And then two, a whole set of scores that define the impact in all uh, parts of our funnel, like, what is the impact going to be on the amount of trials we get? What is the impact going to be on, on how many uh, trials like, like um, turn into paid customers? What is the impact on how many people stay with us? Like, what is the even the impact on our support levels? Like how much support we need to deliver? We give all that scores and then we have this formula that then calculates what the business impact is going to be. Together with the vision alignment, that's a bit of a, a it's somehow built in there as well, uh, to then multiply that to make sure that the things that are then most aligned also come out the most. And this we do with all the features that um, reach a certain threshold of popularity. Uh, so we can focus on the, the right ones that are often asked. And then yeah, in there, we have uh, a series of processes to keep prioritization and planning alive. I'm not going to go into all the details, but it's really a running machine. Uh, and as soon as things get um, get go live, we close the issue. And what happens is that the, the intercom conversation of everyone who who asked for it open up again, and we can personally then um, tell people that the thing went live. Whether it's a bug or an improvement or a feature, it doesn't matter. And ask for feedback, like ask, like, hey, what, what do you think about what we did now, uh, so that we can keep closing that loop. And finally, yeah, we've we've just started using Acute, so getacute.io, I think, which uh, which is also very interesting because it, it sort of makes the mapping for us now between Intercom and GitHub. You could say um, it enables us, for instance, in Intercom to see what things people have asked in the past uh, and also to add um, feedback very easily from intercom Uh, but we're still sort of figuring out how that uh, would work best in terms of um, tools for feature planning we use trello but we're currently actually looking at to see whether there's something that could provide us with a better overview even uh, you know, we work with this kind of feature stories as small as possible, which we turn into Trello cards and then people work on them uh, through the development pipeline. Uh, but it's sometimes hard to know when things are going to land and what we're exactly working on and all this kind of stuff, how long it took. Uh, so we're looking whether there's anything better there. If you have any suggestions, uh, very well.
0: Yeah, we're we're actually going to be interviewing Jana Basto from PropPad on the show and that could be an interesting tool so i'm just going to teaser it right now for prioritizing features depending on customer feedback but i think we're going to do a more in-depth rundown of that on a separate show Um, but that was a super interesting insight especially on how you use uh, the github issues and how you connect that with intercom which is probably very useful and and efficient to, to manage that customer feedback uh, do you do your prioritization in a spreadsheet, or where do you do that?
1: In GitHub itself. Oh, interesting. So we we give things labels, uh, at least for 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 all of the um, bugs and improvements. Uh, features is in a spreadsheet because that's a more elaborate model, but it's a it's a small set of, of features, really, like like big things that we're working on uh that we have prioritize
0: interesting uh just to quickly mention it for uh completeness uh what is your technology stack
1: it's uh full full javascript uh so in the back end we use node and in the front end we use angular wonderful and it's built on cool clouds um mostly mysql um you know, and all kinds of a lot of compute engine and whatever of course um, auto scaling.
0: There's one, one last thing that I want to uh, touch on because I know that you've, you've gone through that and I know that probably a lot of founders out there have been facing this issue recently, which is the Google security review. So that that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's something that Google imposed on people using or having access to uh, sensitive data on Google using their API. Is that, is that correct? Did I understand that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's it's when you access sensitive scopes on the Google API, like where you it's really sensitive Google user data that you're extracting, like email, um, s- such as yes, uh, reading emails. Um, that's when you uh, have to go through a security review. Where first you need to answer some basic stuff to Google and then. You basically get uh, three security companies to choose from. Um, Two of them based in the US, one has a European seat as well. And uh, you fill out a a very long questionnaire for them first to make a quote. And then they quote you and it's extremely expensive. And then you get the quote down a bit. And then um, you, when you've chosen one, then you go through a whole security, questionnaire thing again to check off a lot of different things and then they start doing all kinds of testing as well um I don't know all the things but things like penetration testing and endpoint testing I, I have no idea uh we went through that last year uh, with Bishop Fox um we didn't have a lot of issues thank God because we just did it before uh, the turn of the year <laughs> just before the deadline uh but now this year we need to go through it again and we're going to do it with NCC it's gonna be thankfully much cheap, cheaper than last year uh but still it it is a pain like every year it costs you um tens of thousands uh literally uh to go through this and honestly I don't think it's a huge value add if you're if you have your security down um we, we get Uh, And the security companies are not going to like hearing this, but uh, we got much more value from the security researchers, quote unquote, um, that test our software throughout the year. Because we we were also asked by Google to have a vulnerability disclosure program, uh, where when people disclose vulnerabilities to us, they get a bounty. Uh, They have found so much more than the security companies, you have no idea. Uh we we've been able to fix all these things, which is amazing. Um uh, because the security companies they only had low and informational issues for us and then and then still afterwards, some some guys all over the world they just start testing and they find so many more things.
0: That that must be very interesting to go through. You're suddenly on the plate for so many people, so to speak, to be to be tested. Yeah. Um so congratulations on on uh, living with that, and but that that actually is something you can put on your site as you're actually thoroughly tested, not just by Google.
1: We're thoroughly tested.
0: That's yeah. a great thing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for your time and the super interesting interview and how you're you're building a CRM that really goes against the the big brands. Um, where can people? find you uh find out more about salesflare and learn more about you
1: yeah if you want to find out more about salesflare you can head to salesflare.com and that's flare with f-l-a-r-e um you can read out all about the software you can also try it Um, we give um, a trial which is anywhere between 7 and 30 days or even more if you add if you add a lot of people because we give you extra days on the trial as you as you set it up further, because we've seen that people who who actually properly set it up during the trial are, are way more successful. Um, so definitely try that. It's only through uh, using a serum that you'll know whether, whether it's for you or not. Uh, and if you wanna get in touch with me, you can do that on best on LinkedIn, uh, but please do include a message, a personal one, uh, that says that you've heard uh, this, this chat on the product stories podcast because otherwise uh, you will end up in the uh, in the sea of spam i get every day on, on. <laughs>
0: wonderful uh, all right thank you so much uh, for being on the show and uh, have a good one thank you it was fun this show is brought to you by Trustshoring. your friendly concierge to find reliable and tested software developers from eastern europe we recruit full-time developers match you to an experienced software house that's ideal for your requirements, or recommend a reliable freelancer for smaller projects. But most importantly, you benefit from our experience of developing software remotely for almost 10 years. We give you one-on-one guidance all the way so you're never lost. Stop the tedious hiring or vetting process and get matched to reliable talent. Sign up for a free consulting call with one of our experts today. Go to TrustShoring.com.